Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Hello and welcome to This Is Your Laugh, the podcast that interviews well-known female stand-ups and comedy actors about what comedy has taught them about life. This podcast is brought to you by Comedy 5050, and we're your hosts, Roxy and Alice. Our guest today is stand-up comedian, actor and writer Tiff Stevenson. Tiff has enjoyed a succession of sell-out shows at the Edinburgh Festival, which have been showered in five stars and critical acclaim. As a stand-up, her TV credits include, to name a few, Russell Howard's Stand-Up Central, The Apprentice You're Fired, Mock the Week, Nevermind the Buzzcocks and Show Me the Funny, in which she performed in the live final at London's Hammersmith Apollo to millions of viewers. Tiff began her career in the entertainment biz as an actress and has graced our screens in a host of comedy cult classics, from mockumentary sitcom The Office to People Just Do Nothing, Roisin Conaty's Game Face and Comedy Central's Drunk History. She also popped up in Dizzy Rascal's Dirty Cash video... <laughs> <laughs> which is a pretty cool claim to fame, and regularly writes for the newspaper The Metro. She describes herself on her website as amazingly funny human, prone to hyperbole, only the first half of which is, of course, true. <laughs> Tiff, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, you flatter me. Well. That does sound like a slightly out-of-date biog, but um, oh. I like it. Well, only, <laughs> only, only when it sort, of, um, it sort of mentions things like The Apprentice, which I did about five years ago. It's a good smattering, because a lot of the time, if I get recognised when I'm out and about, um, because I've done such a wide variety of stuff, people often don't know what they know me from. So then they think that I'm a neighbour or someone from their work. Oh, no. So they sort of go, I know you. And I go, no. Like some, one guy came up to me recently, went, you went to Middlesex University. And I was like, no. He's like, you did, though. And I was like, no, I definitely didn't. And I want to go, no, it's because you've seen me on TV. So yeah. you leave them or hanging. Re- <laughs> oh. or, or recently, um, I was on a retreat and a lady there recognised me. And she was like, you work with Karen, don't you? And I was like, no, uh, I don't. Um, and then we, could, we then and she was like, oh, my God, I'm so embarrassed. I've, se- I've seen you on Mock the Week. It was really funny. And I was like, no, it's totally fine. That's what people do all the time. You know, they have a moment. Or they say, what do you know? What do I know you from? And I said, I'm not going to do my entire CV for you because that's very tedious. Yes. Oh, God. So it's, yeah, yeah. But um, that's, that sounds like me complaining. But I feel like that, that biog is a fair summary because, uh, you know, I'm across a few things. So sometimes I, I'm not a person that you can sort of place instantly. There's just no. a vague knowingness. Well, mm. actually, it's interesting you said you're across a few things because one of the things that did strike both of us when we were researching you was how many strings you have to a bow. And that's something that we have sort of toyed with a lot with the sort of various disciplines that we do and multi-hyphenate, multi-hyphenate business cards that's what they exactly. call it in America <laughs> they introduce uh, Tiffany's a multi-hyphenate they and that's just like a, that. yes they wow. say that and it's a positive thing in the States it's seen as less so here yeah why is that I don't know I feel like they like to put you in a box in the UK of like what you're capable of doing mm-hmm. and how they see you and it's tricky to get out of that Whereas in America, they're just, you know, you can have fingers in as many pies. You can have pie smeared fingers. Uh, and because at any given time, you need to be juggling three or four different projects. And then one of them might come off. Yeah. And, you know, you're sort of, um, my friend Chappie called Sandy always describes showbiz as, uh, feast or famine we're sort of always in this constant state of like everything's happening yes. or nothing's happening yeah. so you've got lots of things kind of percolating away and you know podcasting then essentially makes you kind of a broadcaster yes, of yeah. terms so that's another thing you could kind of add on you know I've, I've just launched a podcast with Lush so I'm like oh now I'm a podcaster as well so it just but of course it's still in the vein of what I'm doing I'm being funny 
no matter what medium it is across, apart from when I'm being serious, which is occasionally uh, in acting or sometimes with articles. Broadly, it's all art. Yes. <laughs> They're just kind of different formats and different ways of presenting it. Yeah, we get very hung up here on like what people are and how they do things. Life gets more confusing, doesn't it, as you get older? Because you used to go home at Christmas and see your family and they'd say, how are you getting on? How are you doing? You say, yes, I'm doing X. And then the years progress and then it's X, Y and Z and then all the other letters of the alphabet and suddenly you're just like, I- I- I'm good. I'm fine. <laughs> Thank you. Well, n- no one really does. There's no such thing as a job for life anymore, is there? Mm. And lots of people do more than one thing. That's outside of the entertainment and arts industries. Just across lots of things, people are working multiple jobs because mm. there's zero hour contracts now and kind of people working from home and freelancing, doing all kinds of different things. So I think the days of just doing one thing and doing it extremely well, you know, are sort of gone really. Yeah. Do you ever resent having to do more than, is, I mean, are there times that you would like to just focus on one discipline? Well, when I'm in one of them, I try to focus as much as I can on the one thing that I'm doing. So if I'm in something, if I'm in the process of writing one of my scripts, for example, I try and be in that as much as I can. But then, you know, gigs are in the evening. So during the day, I'm writing on an HBO show at the moment. Oh, so that, you know, a lot of the time during the day, I'm writing on that and then I'm doing gigs in the evening. And then next week I'm doing Mock the Week. So the day before that, I'll have to be kind of reading all of the news and getting myself prepared. Crash course. Well, yeah, so yeah, so you, I allocate periods of time. You know, it's very, I'm, I'm having to be more and more conscious with my time and, and, and good at scheduling and focus. And a friend of mine introduced me to the Pomodoro technique, which oh, is a... Like the okay. tomato. Yeah, it's a, yes, and it's a timer and you can do these focus bits of... You focus for 20 minutes, you try not to be distracted by the internet or anything else, and you do a focus 20 minutes. I think it would be good for sex as well. <laughs> the Pomodoro technique, so you don't get distracted. Sounds but yeah. sexual. <laughs> so um, I kind of feel like when people become uh, parents, often, you know, I'll see mothers, they become very... Uh, streamlined with their time so I just feel like when you're working across a few things you just need to be able to do that and then work in time to relax and take a break from it all. Do you feel like a different person in each different thing that you're doing because I think you know if you're writing that requires one aspect of your personality perhaps and when you're doing stand-up you're tapping into something else? Uh, The only time I feel like it's kind of not in me is if I'm writing a piece of character-based comedy because then I can detach myself from my political views and ideologies and and be quite playful. Sometimes that's really freeing, actually, if I'm writing one of my scripts or this this one that I'm working on at the moment to just not be tied to my beliefs and my ideas and actually be funny in a very different way. Um, But the rest of the time, kind of who I am, obviously infiltrates the work and my ideas and Mm. you know just sometimes different formats uh, are are better ways of getting ideas across sometimes I write something and I think no that's a bit of stand-up or I write something else and I think no that's probably that would be a good short film or that would be a good sketch or that would be really that would fit really well into an article but I'm not sure if it's stand-up you know so sometimes just thoughts and ideas I'm always keeping uh, uh, notes in my iPhone and I didn't update them and I lost about a thousand of them last year I think there's some way of recovering them on my laptop still I'm hoping just so there is but yeah uh, but I tend to go into my iPhone notes and I I write bits sometimes it's bits of dialogue or something that I'm on the bus and I think I'm looking at someone or I'm looking at a couple and I think oh they're the kind of couple that look like they do this they go to this thing on a Wednesday night and I'll write you know that's a little writing experiment actually sometimes I'll go out in my car this is a totally separate and not the question you asked me. Sometimes <laughs> I'll drive out in my car and I probably look like some kind of spy. Uh, but I go out in my car and I drive to a place sort of nearish me that I haven't been before, like a street. And I'll drive down the street and I'll look at the houses and I'll write like a little paragraph on who lives in each house. Oh, that's a really good so exercise. So like a really Fantastic. nice starting point for like characters who lives on this street. You know, this couple here, they've been married for this amount of time. And I try and gauge it from, and I could be completely wrong, but there is no wrong or right because I'm never going to find out who lives there. But I, I sort of try and gauge it from the outside of the house and what's in the window and how the garden looks and who they are. And I sort of do that sometimes. And that is, that's quite a nice, almost like meditative, separate way of like yeah. trying to come up with stuff and keeping it really real and grounded as well if you're taking your inspiration from real life because yeah. I imagine you can sit there in a coffee shop at your 
kitchen desk, whatever it is, and try and create a real fully fleshed person. And sort of all the elements you're pulling are from your imagination, but they may not tie together. And if you're sort of seeing real things from influences from real life, I imagine that's... Because yeah. how do you, how do you... I'm a, copying from the world. Yes. Yeah. But I, I had someone in one of my shows, a guy who I eventually called Herb. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know what his name was, but he, he was a tour guide in New York. And it, this became like a big routine in my in my bombshell show because he was on the High Line with a group of tourists. I don't think he was professional. He had about like 15 people. But he the way he was tour guiding was he was like, okay, everybody, a little bit of history for you now. And he goes, over here is pier number 37. This is where the Titanic was supposed to duck. We all know what happened here. <laughs> Tragedy. Anyway, moving on. And that was literally how, and I became fascinated. I was with my now fiance and my friend Steve. And I was like, that's straight in the notes. And I don't know what I'll do with him or what he's going to mean or who. And then he just became this fully kind of, it became this arc in my show, which was about how we're so bombarded with news and horrific things that all you can you can barely acknowledge them as a human being before you have to, you know. Moving on, tragedy, you know. Mm. Oh yeah, totally. so the disconnect because it's sort of the only thing you can do. Some days you feel. Yeah, yeah. And so that man doesn't know that he then became like <laughs> an entire twenty minutes in my show of imagining him and his life and the things that he would get angry about. I imagined that because he didn't care about big things, he really cared about small things, you know. And so that I sort of created this, hung this sort of show around him and this this routine, but that was just from hearing him do that that sort of line. So for me, quite often sitting indoors trying to write yeah. doesn't work as much as being out in the world and just watching people observing. And that's what stand-up is as well. We're observers. Women are observers. Mm. We're observers of history yeah. and moments and... Just on that note, how much do you think you can then steal from yourself? So have you ever had it where you've used up something in, um, I don't know, like an article, and then you think, oh, actually, I really want him for a whole character in my sitcom. Do you think you can then take it? Yeah, yeah. I would self-plagiarise. Self-plagiarise, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I think you can. I mean, if I feel like I haven't exhausted the possibilities of that, or can I put it into a different vessel or, or something, you know, along those lines. But I just, I found him fascinating. It might be down the line I write something with someone who's a tour guide maybe not him but somewhere else and I kind of you know build a character up from there with different elements of different people or an overheard piece of conversation yeah so yeah. has anybody from your I suppose your immediate family and friends who you may have taken inspiration from have they ever come to see a show and identified that's actually something I said or that's something um, I do a lot of the time if it's something like that if I'm the butt of the joke or I'm the idiot I'll say who it is it'll be like my mum or my dad or my partner, because he's, you know, he's funny and, and, and smart, so sometimes he'll get a... But I normally say it's them, um, so I don't really, like, kind of take any of their, like, smarts to use for myself, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. That's um, very honourable, actually. So I'm trying to write the funny from my perspective if I'm bringing them in, but obviously I'm going to... The funny from Herb comes from the fact that he says that, and I kind of do the voice of how Herb sounds mm. you know so so that's sort of what makes that funny and the wider context of the show but um a lot of the time I think if you take traits from people or you write them into your scripts um, a lot of writers would say you'd be astonished how many people don't recognize themselves because how you see someone is often very different from how they see themselves. So we yeah. Steve. Steve, is that the guy? Recognised himself. The, uh, uh, no, Herb. Herb, 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 Herb sorry, maybe. Herb. Where did you get Steve maybe from? I, uh, my, uh, Steve was my friend who was there, actually. That Steve Steve sent me a video the other day saying, oh, here's, um, here's a tragedy. I think he's doing a tour around the East Village. And it was a little video. So I was like, I might, you know, I was like, I wonder if I could put that up. Or whether it would upset him. Yeah, I really think you should go and find Herb and just say, <laughs> I base this whole thing around you. Yeah. you know, here's oh, he'll probably be to the thrilled. Show. I think people yeah. are so flattered, actually, aren't they? Often definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And he's definitely not called Herb, but that was the name I gave him. Oh, well, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. fine. That's Herb very disguised. Herb and uh, Patty. <laughs> <laughs> his wife Patty who made him like egg sandwiches that were too moist like and that became a whole thing of it as well so I just created very visceral these. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in terms of uh, taking influence from uh, famous people and other comedians was it somebody that inspired you to go into comedy in the first place or something um, or my, my sort of inspirations to get into stand up my inspirations to do, to do acting or funny acting I suppose was Victoria Wood that would oh. be mm. that would be someone who I looked at and went oh you can be funny like this and when she's do Kimberley uh or I'm looking for my friend Kimberley um and I would watch you know and then I'd watch her stand up but I didn't think stand up was something I could 
do. I think because it was done in an audience with style, so I didn't recognise it, even though she was, that's what she was doing. Mm. It was kind of an audience with. So I used to watch that with my mum. And then Lily Savage. Mm. Yeah. Paula Grady doing Lily Savage. Lily Savage and Gail Tuesday was an early influence. I did a character called Savannah Dior, Media Whore. <laughs> it was like a footballer's wife who'd like shag loads of footballers and I, I did like that was a character that I did for about six to nine months before realising that I was trapped in a some kind of hell that I couldn't get out of in club <laughs> in club scenarios I think it's much easier now probably to do character stuff and the environments of stand-up have very much changed since I first started um, but I would say stand-up as I do it now, probably the, the biggest influence was Joan Rivers. Oh, yeah. You know, because um, I'd watched Eddie Murphy, I'd seen all that American stand-up, but it wasn't really until I saw Joan doing it. So, you know, like, if you can see it, then you can be it. And I saw Joan Rivers doing it. I was like, oh, I can, you can do stand-up like that at the yeah. Apollo in front of people and, and uh, you know, be real and be really funny. And she's always very connected with the audience and with the audience and not separate to them. Uh, which I always really liked about Joan, you know, they would all be brought in and I'd watch some of the male stand-ups and they wouldn't do that as much. Um, so it was sort of seeing Joan and, you know, people like Phyllis Diller later on, but really in the beginning it was it was Joan. In terms of your stand-up, I mean, we're both huge fans of it. Oh, uh, I think what's really amazing about you is that you cover a really broad range of subjects, which, and you quite rightly don't shy away from the big important ones like, you know, the political climate and feminism, abortion, gay rights. And so how do you approach your stand-up material when you're writing? Is it sort of a case of exploring what subjects are immediately funny or is it more thinking about what you possibly want to talk about, which is more serious and maybe perhaps what people should be discussing and then finding the funny within it? Um, yeah, it's, it's about five years in, I knew I could make people laugh and it stopped being about can I just make people laugh, can I make them think, you know, can I still be really funny, but can I challenge some stuff at the same time? So so then it became about, yeah, it became more about what did I want to talk about? Also, you know, more and more stand-up is appearing and I don't want to be talking about the same things that everyone else is talking about. Mm. I like to always sort of be ahead of that uh, rather than on the zeitgeist. Although I think this year I'll have a couple of things that will be on the zeitgeist a bit. But um, We can forgive you. Yeah, I, I tend to kind of focus in on... Uh, things that I feel passionate about and that I feel that are important that we should talk about. And I sort of work out how I feel about them, then I find the funny in it. That's sort of how it goes. Mm. It's, it is sort of led by my conscience to a certain degree. Not all stand-ups work that way. You know, yeah. some people do one-liners and that's brilliant and that has its place. It's just kind of not what I want to do. Um, what I love is kind of like, you know, that kind of passionate comedy that you know, Richard Pryor would have done, you know, like you can have provocative George Carlin's, the Joan Rivers of the world, you know, those yeah. people who are kind of doing that sort of Wanda Sykes now in America, you know, and it's why I think a lot of the women are really interesting because we've had to get like so good <laughs> yeah. just to get the, the same opportunities that very, very average men get. So, um, but that's the kind of stuff I love. I love that, that kind of, passion and engagement so that's normally where I start I mean this year in this year's show I'm talking about homelessness and it's it's hard because you know you don't want people to go well that's a funny subject but mm. obviously the idea of homelessness itself isn't funny but some of the attitudes around like how do we fix this and um some of the societal attitudes to, towards it that's where I'm aiming my ire yeah. and uh, uh you know corporations and politicians that are are not affecting the change so that's where I try and get the funny from do you think that that is something you have always wanted to do so even when you said i think for the first five years this is right you said you wouldn't you were happy just to get the joke yeah in the back of your mind it, was always when i'm comfortable enough when i'm at a certain level i'll swap over into the stuff i actually I want to do i don't even think it was i think first it was just about being funny um and my stuff's always always been if I'm doing it right, like personal, political and social, you know. So it's always sort of been that. I've always sort of talked about class from the very beginning and being from a working class background, but it wasn't with any kind of real, it was more a case of like establishing my identity of who I was on stage and saying this is who I am and this is where I come from and this is my story a little bit. And when you start in stand-up, you, it's sort of about telling people who you are. A little bit about me, you know. A lot of people start their stand-up with uh, probably tell you a little bit about me. Yeah. Um, and so... 
So it was that. So then once I'd got through, and actually in the very beginning, I did almost the the polar opposite of what I do now, which is I didn't want people thinking I was just some actress who thought that she could do stand-up. I remember seeing mm. a review of someone going, well, they're a good actress, but clearly they're not a stand-up. So I was like, right, I'm going to put no delivery. I'm just going to write really dry, deadpan one-liners to show you that I can write jokes, <laughs> you know. And it was counterintuitive, obviously, because my stand-up now you know, is so full of character. It's inhabited by characters and people and voices and all of the performance elements go into it because why would I hold any of that back? Mm. That's who I am. That's what I can do. So so now it's all in there. But in the beginning, that was that was what I did. And then I wonder, was it a conscious push? Um, I think the, I don't know, like 2011, I did a show called Cave Woman. And I think that was probably, oh no, I did Dictators the year before. And I think that was like a, that was about dictators, so it was like Hitler, Mugabe, OK Magazine, Gaddafi and my mum. <laughs> so I've always done this mix of personal and political. That was kind of like my second ever Edinburgh show. Um, so I think just there, that was me trying to find that blend of being able to do stuff that's really personal about me or about being a woman, but also being able to talk about the world at large. And then the following year I did a show and I didn't quite nail it. You know, I think it was there in parts, but... I would like to try and do it again or try and do it as a film. It was kind of like a sliding doors of what, uh, because I had a, a an abortion when I was 17, it was a sliding doors of kind of what my life could have been mm. if I had a kid and where I would be and where I am now. Oh, that's a really interesting conceit, actually. So I tried to sort of do, I sort of did an attempt at that and um, I think the results were a bit mixed, but it, that it, I was very ambitious <laughs> early on. So then t- that would be 2011. I think I started in 2005 doing a character 2006 doing straight stand-up so I was about five years in then do it like trying to get that kind of very much sort of yeah t- taking this big bold leap um whether or not it paid off I mean who knows but I'm it's sure all learning it's all le- I don't regret it because it's all learning and yeah. it all leads towards you know becoming better and better do you think it is that comedians lay themselves bare because it is very exposing and to use real facts from your actual life yeah you know it's amazing because you'll have people really relate to you and it makes it real and it makes you very informed well informed to say the things that you say and find the funny in them but are there any repercussions or does it affect you outside of comedy the fact that you have given your personal stories out to the world um I think I think in different in different ways. I guess the first, in the first instance, something like the abortion uh, story, the the first thing I had to deal with with that was knowing that my dad was going to come at the Edinburgh Fringe and he didn't know about it. Right. So I sort of had to sit him down and go, look, there's this bit in the show that you don't know about, so I'm just giving you a heads up before I talk about it on stage. So there was that. That was the first kind of oh, we've got to get over that. Um, did you have to as you were writing it almost pretend he wouldn't be watching the show at some point I just didn't even think about it right yeah yeah yeah, I didn't even think about it I just yeah I just sort of put your professional hat on yeah there was a kind of like extended metaphor about mice in the show (laughs) there was a story about us having mice and and um there was some link with a Sarah Jessica Parker film I'm really trying to remember it now this scene with her is um this film with her and Hugh Grant, oh, where he says, how do you know I'm ready to be a father? I can't, I can't, it's like meet the Morgans or something, I can't remember. And she says, oh, I saw you rescue this mouse and you put out a box of Cheerios for it and you, re- like, it's this whole very long story. She goes, and I knew then you were ready to be a father. And then I talk about when we had mice and my boyfriend shooting them from the kitchen with a BB <laughs> gun. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, yeah. Or hitting them over the head with a shoe. And again, I was thinking, is he ready to be a father? Like, um, so I had this kind of dual story. Uh, I had that story and then I used that sort of as a metaphor for, you know, what about the baby mice and is she ready to be a mother? You know, I'd done this, God, reaching back into my memory to try and remember exactly how I did it. Yeah. But it, it was it was slightly shrouded. Um, 
but yeah, I didn't even think about it. It was only when I realised he was coming up to Edinburgh and I was like, well, I either take this bit out of the show or I say it's here and and that's that. And then also then that opened it up so that two years ago when the, not two years ago, it was 2017 I wrote the piece, but the referendum happened in Ireland, mm. that I was able to talk about that and I wrote a piece for The Guardian, which was less comedy and much more kind of the realness of the experience um, and everything that goes with it. And that, I got over, overwhelmingly got support and lots of men getting in touch going, I went through this with my daughter and thank you for speaking about it. And oh, wow. uh, and and lots of really, and some male comics going, read this because if you're gonna talk about this stuff on stage and be flippant about it, you should understand, you know, um, which was really lovely. And then it went to some sort of alt-right groups in America and some Christian groups. And then I got called a murderess and I was like, sure. Mm. Um, you know, and people sort of started tweeting vicious stuff at me. And then my mum was like, I, th I think you've talked about that enough now. I think you should just stop talking about that. And that's the only time she's sort of done that. And then weirdly, even though the show that I'm writing this year is called Mother, I was like, do you know what? I'm not going to do reproductive rights this year because I do it almost every show. And then I was like, oh, well, here we are, Alabama, Missouri, yeah, uh, Georgia, I mean, but yeah. more importantly, and not to um, say that America isn't important because I have a three year visa <laughs> to be there, but what's happening in Northern Ireland or the Republic of Gilead, as I'm now calling it, yeah. what's happening here on our own doorstep, our own house isn't in order. So I've got a fundraiser, I've put together a fundraiser for that, that's coming up. And I'll talk about it again. I'll talk about it in the show and wound bothering will come back and it'll be 10 to 15 minutes in the new show because I feel like if there's a year that it's important to talk about it, it's this year. So Absolutely. sorry, mum. You've been ahead of the zeitgeist and suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, you're going to yeah. have to do it then. Yeah. Well, and, and so, so, that, so that's one thing that's happened there. So that's, you know, people have strong responses to that. And I've also had some people say they're going to boycott some pro-life or as I prefer anti-choice groups saying mm. that they were going to uh, boycott the show um, and obviously I'm devastated that some people who are never going to come <laughs> plan to boycott it but interestingly because I'm talking about homelessness in the show there will be a big parallel between these kind of pro-life people who I'm going to stop calling pro-life and start calling pro-homeless mm. because I don't know how mm. where are they yeah. when there are humans you know they're desperate for these uh, fetuses <laughs> or, you know, zygotes yeah. or whatever you want to call them, you know, a bunch of cells. They're desperate for those to become babies and be born and they want to control all of it until it comes out of the mother and then they don't care. Mm. So so there's quite a nice sort of parallel to be drawn in the new show. Yeah. Um, the other time, the other thing of sort of speaking up is when you speak about stuff that happens within the industry and then by speaking up, you can be stonewalled and punished for being a person that speaks up or if you bang a drum and make some noise for a change to make a change about something, then they're a bit like, oh God, you know, she doesn't shut up about that. So, you know, like I've definitely like spoken up about various panel shows and stuff and their lack of yes, <laughs> booking yeah. women and stuff like that, you know. Um, and, you know, there's a couple like, you know, that still aren't doing it. Well, I thought you were fantastic. Was it Andrew Marr's show that you went on? Is it right? Was it Andrew Marr's show? Uh, was it Matthew Wright or was it the... Oh, uh, was, oh, was, God, was it an audio clip or a TV clip? Oh, no, it was clip. a TV clip. Yeah. Is it Andrew Marr? I can't remember. Yeah. One, one of those. Um, and, uh, and you were fantastic on that. I really just thought, you know, you had a wonderful way of putting your point across, being incredibly fair, very balanced, you know, just absolutely getting the sort of... You had the balance of passion, but also, you know just being very relatable and friendly and you know not making it super heavy but just a very accessible thing that we have to talk about you know yeah and um you know I do do a few of them you know I do mock the week and eight out of ten cats and stuff like that um but last time round they did a big interview about have I got news for you and it was about sort of female politicians not wanting to go on about women not wanting to go on again and you know I've spoken out about that and then I kind of go oh is that why I haven't done that show because I've mm. sort of been like, you're not very good Keep at banging booking. the drum. Yeah. You're not very good it. at booking women. Like, but, <laughs> uh, but then, and then obviously they go, because they say they try and book women. And so my response to that is when you say you try, it means you picked up the phone and you rang like four of the most mm. famous women, not even necessarily stand ups, you know, TV presenters as well. Yeah. Or sketch comedians or just actors, you know, like, uh, uh, and you asked them and they said, 
they can't do it or they don't want to or it's too risky or whatever and then you go we are some women yeah and that is incredibly frustrating to me so that that was the only point I was trying to make and then of course the piece in the independent they were like have you done the show I was like, I've never been asked to do the show I've never been booked to do the show I'm a political comic so for me that's you know but there are and you know they don't have to book me but there are like plenty of other yeah political comics as well and also that's a show I guess where they can get away with not having uh, a female comic mm. as often as an, as often as a female comic mo- it, a lot of the time it'll be a journalist but it'll, but it'll be four funny men and a journalist yeah you know like yeah. it will be so and then they go women aren't funny on this show and you go is it Camilla Long's job to be funny like she's mm, a journalist yeah. it's not you know is it this MP's job to be funny and the whole issue of MPs on the show, that's a different thing, you know. Well, but yeah. and you get Anne Widdicombe, who's unwittingly funny for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think it was when they put a handbag on instead of Nicky Clark, was it? He was supposed to be on one week. And I was like, oh, you've... I get the joke, because there was the tub of large John yeah. Prescott thing. But what's actually happened here is you've just not got a woman on the show. Yeah. You just don't have a female presence. And I think, you know, and I think sometimes, like, being vocal about that can make people go, well, we're not going to put her on the show. Because I remember hearing Jenny Eclair talk about it, actually, on Woman's Hour, I think it was. They had someone on who was producing the show and they were saying, look, we try and get women on um, and, you know, they're just not available. And then the host of the show, I think Jenny Murray was like, well, Jenny Eclair's just tweeted in to say she's never been asked. And then the producer said, yeah, but Jenny Eclair's not everyone's cup of tea. <laughs> To which the response is, but is Brian blessed? Everybody, yes. Is Brian blessed everybody's cup of tea, you know? Yeah. And Jenny could more than hold her own on that show. She's a Perrier winning comic. You know, so when people are saying they're trying, yeah, they're not really trying that hard. They've got a few people that they want to book and then they don't really, they don't really go outside of that. And I, I think that needs to change. I think it's really sad that we're, we're still in this sort of place. And I think as well that there are a bunch of female comics. I mean, Zoe being one as well, and people like Sarah Kendall and and um, Joe Caulfield and people like this who have been brilliant for ages and should probably get reparations for all the stuff they sort of missed out on, really. Mm. I mean, they may not say it, but I think they deserve it, you know. Yeah, I Zoe, think the Jamie Godley's to have I got news Joni, for you. Yeah. Right, yeah, and Zoe has been phenomenal for years and mm. been doing Mock the Week for years and, you know, so, and I think sometimes it's even harder for for women who are older and I say that as an you know as you know I turned 40 last year so I say that as you know there's women in their 20s and 30s who are also like trying to push and get but I do feel like there's a generation of women who really really worked for that and um and and they should you know they should be coming back and going Janie did it recently I think but they should be going hey let's get some of these women who've really been amazing for such a long time against such difficult odds and give them goes yeah in the same way that we keep, you know, we can't stop booking women when they're 40. Like, and I think that really does happen. Yeah. Like I'm seeing it, you know, there are channels that go, we don't want women over, you know, 35 sort of thing. But you'll book male comics into their 40s and 50s, you know. Do you think that comedy has made you more vocal? Do you think that you were always vocal and then comedy was your outlet to be vocal, if that makes sense? Well, yeah, I suppose I was vocal about acting and stuff that happened mm. in that. But, um, yeah, I think comedy's probably probably worse it won't it won't be equal until we have a gender split for example so even though everyone thinks oh, it's so great now you're going still two women on a panel of seven is not great is it mm. you know until we're regularly if there's seven if we're regularly having three and occasionally four women then that's when we've got a sort of balance and there's enough women out there that you can be booking people on the shows whether or not actually in terms of your, how comedy has influenced your your personality traits right well, yeah yeah always I've always been outspoken I'm, my first sort of feminist um sort of moment of rage was when I was about 14 and I was sat in my bedroom listening to Capital Radio and an advert came on and um and it was for like radio advertising it was on the radio for radio advertising which is a bit meta and the advert said um you should you should do radio advertising. It's cheaper than TV advertising, but it reaches more people, which means you can save money, which means you can get a faster car, which means you can get a better looking secretary. It was like that. And I was like, and I heard it oh. and I was like, oh my God, I was so shocked. I was like, that just makes me think, they think that there's no women in positions of power that would want, you know, radio advertising because they've geared that towards men and that can't be true, can it? <laughs> Cry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was my first sort of moment of going, oh, they treat us differently or they 
they assume we don't have power and then the gradual realization that we didn't have power so uh, yes I've always been outspoken um what other traits have you got specifically from comedy do you think because I'm not really someone who I'm not really on all the time so I can kind of do a serious conversation with people without the need to I don't have a compulsion um although to do this as a career is a compulsion but I don't have a (laughs) need to compulsively be the funniest person in the room at a dinner party I don't feel that like kind of need um I'll be funny but I'll be uh, I'm not coming out to kind of do that and there are some people who can't switch it off off or let a space in a conversation if someone's being quite serious without coming in with a gag and you're like oh actually someone's being quite heartfelt and emotional here and this is an evening of wine with the girls (laughs) you know like or whatever yeah so there are you know um but I'm trying to think well because you have your your acting side of things as a as a comedy actor as well and you've played many different roles within that I mean are there any sort of I suppose even from your characters are there traits that they have that you've sort of thought I think I think maybe my uh, sort of it has led me to be the kind of person that I guess will step in in social situations a bit more because I talk about them so much on stage yeah so I've always stuck up for myself but recently there were two girls on the train getting harassed late night on my way home and one of the girls recognized me and she did this thing of like asking me questions which I know as women know is code for like help me out help me and trying to strike up a conversation um and it was about my handbag and there was a very very drunk man who was like where do you live do you want to come back to mine where do you live and then she was like I like your handbag where's it from and I was like oh I got it in America and she went were you touring there yeah were you doing shows and so that's when and and she said to her friend she's that really awesome comedian we follow on Twitter and stuff and then as well I knew that like I couldn't not step in because mm-hmm. also they'd recognise me so yeah. it was like a, a, pr- a pressure there but not a bad pressure <laughs> but he was annoyed that they were talking to me and then he sat down and started going so where are you get? where do you live then where do you live What do you want to give me your number you know all of this kind of thing oh, God. and I just lent in and went dude they're not interested and then obviously that led to an explosion of narcissistic rage yeah. from this guy uh, whose ego was dented and he was screaming at me I bet you think you're some kind of feminist like how dare you what do you think I was trying to do and I was like well you would you, uh, stop asking them where they live they're women travelling on their own at night they don't want to talk to you and he's like I'm gay and I was like number one don't believe it number two bringing that out as a defence now yeah. like it's such a weird thing and also I just feel like if you were a gay guy you wouldn't be screaming at me yeah. yeah, you try and talk to me as well. <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, "Oh no, no, it's not like you know." So it was just, it was, um, yeah, um, it was pretty horrific. And then it was like, "Why were you interfering?" And you know, and then the girls tweeted me afterwards, going, "Thank you for stepping in." And it was just, well, I talked about it on Twitter, but then of course there was didn't happen at the year awards, and oh, yeah, you know, all the of classics, these things. Yeah, oh, they come up every time, and you're like, "Why?" When women talk about their experiences is there's just this automatic assumption that we're lying. And also I reserve the right to do that in my stand-up and if I'm making a joke on Twitter, it'll be clear that I'm making a joke. But I do also talk about real stuff. And there was no joke there. They were just like, leave women alone when they're travelling at night. Definitely. It's not a time to chat us up. Yeah. It's actually terrifying for you to approach us. Moving on to slightly more... um... maybe slightly ridiculous things um or it sounds it i mean it sounds absolutely amazing and i wish i'd seen it you did celebrity autobiography oh yeah yeah which for our listeners i believe is a show where you had to read out pretentious or sort of banal paragraphs from celebrities autobiographies yes real stuff unchanged yes to an audience and you had david tennant there sally phillips was there Lots of other people. Who else was there? Lots of amazing, um, famous people. Oh, Michael Urie, yes. James Lance, yeah. George Went. Yeah. Um, A real oh, Jennifer cast. Coolidge. Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> <laughs> she did some in, when we were in Edinburgh, I love her. You know, Stifler's mum and, you know, um, oh, so a lot of people know her as Stifler's mum, but she was also in Best it's in Show and all role. of those. Yes. Yeah. And so what was, who whose autobiography were you reading out? Um, I did Mr. T. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's great. Um, and I also did, um, who else did I do? Oh, we do this mashup of autobiographies at the end, which was Elizabeth Taylor, Debbie Reynolds and Eddie <laughs> Fisher. And it was all of their autobiographies because obviously Liz Taylor split up Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher's marriage. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and then obviously you've got like these kind of big, like almost like Hollywood dynasties. 
sort of uh so it was all of and that was really great and i was elizabeth taylor in that i think was i was i debbie no i was elizabeth yeah and then and then jane well uh, no actually it's funnier when you sort of read it as you oh, okay bridget yeah. christie was in it as well so we didn't really do accents i can't remember if i did maybe i did an american accent for that one because james lance was richard burton and i felt like he did a bit of a welsh accent <laughs> so maybe maybe i did an american accent for that one but standard just sort of reading them as yourself is the funniest way to do it like sylvester stallone was just like listing the contents of his fridge and stuff like oh that God, you know so but how much of an autobiography <laughs> do people actually write or how much is it written by a ghostwriter or somebody uh, i think a lot of them are written by other people with some with some flourishes added like diana ross's is hilarious because it is so I mean, there's not a moment of modesty in it. I mean, good for her, though. She's Diana Ross. You know, why oh, should yeah, she be Oh, yeah, she's got to own it. But it's it's very, very hyperbolic and big and fantastic. So that, And then Tiger Woods, which all became very sexual after his sort of... his All his affairs came out. God, so yeah. It's how he approaches playing golf, but it all reads as incredibly sexual. Britney Spears one is good as well, the Crossroads one. I read oh, a yes. quote that was something like... Ate tuna for lunch, had a nap. Just like oh, yeah. boring <laughs> stuff. It's like you're Britney Spears. Oh, you know? um, Ivana Trump is incredible. She has like a whole thing of where she talks about taking um, Donald and Eric and Ivanka to the top of the mountain, and I fling them down and say ski, <laughs> and they're crying and crying. It's like the like literally, it's like her guide to parenting, and it is absolutely terrifying. Oh, it's like the opposite of uh, helicopter parenting. Then. Yeah, yeah. Like, do it yourself. I'll see you later. Yeah. Um, you said a career in the creative arts, and I love this quote. You said it's basically sitting at the poker table, forever thinking, "Don't fold, don't fold." Yeah. Remember saying that? Yes. Great. Yeah. You did say it. Um, so, how often have you considered folding, or how actually more interestingly, perhaps, how near do you think you've ever got to actually? Oh, loads, folding? all the time. Really? I think yeah. probably a few months back would be the last time I thought it. Really? Even now? On well, every aspect of comedy, the writing as well as the acting. So and the comedy stand-up. can be frustrating the comedy industry can be frustrating no not i mean like i'm i'm doing slightly different things this year um there are some aspects i suppose i'm going to the edinburgh fringe and i have to gear myself up for this because it's such a it's the antithesis of everything art should be in terms of there being a competition for a prize and there being reviews and there being competition between people who do completely different things and it instills this kind of competitive spirit and energy into you. And even no matter how much you try and let it go, mm. like you're aware of what the award can do and what it does for people's careers and how it can help them. But you're also aware of the politics of it as well sometimes as to, you know, there are politics like there are with anything. Yeah. And then you are also going, it doesn't matter. That's not the reason I'm going. Then there's always that one day that the hope horse rides into town and you go maybe maybe this year oh, bloody horse yeah yeah maybe just this died. year it'll be me, you know and so to kind of go with that in mind is madness because you are essentially there's thousands of shows but you're you human just don't so don't know you know that it would be so yeah so that like kind of that sort of that can be hard sometimes a struggle within because they always say comedy's a meritocracy but it's not really. (laughs) So sometimes that's a struggle. And sometimes you can like, you know, that that well-known saying that comparison is the thief of joy, but I have been guilty at looking around and going, Oh God, well they're doing that and that and that. And why am I doing that? And Oh my God, is it because I'm 40 now? Or is that going to happen for me? Or is this the, and all these measurements that I, you know, kind of put in play to kind of go, these are measurements of success. And because it's an industry where you're working for yourself, there is no, quarterly review from your boss to tell you that you're getting it right or that you're doing it well so you have to g yourself up and sometimes um and I remember actually Bill Burr saying a similar thing on a podcast I was like wow I have exactly the same he says well you one thing gets taken away or you get a thing or you do you have a job and then you didn't get the next one and you're Mm. like oh I'm nothing I'm shit and I'm at the you know, I'm like the bottom of the lake and I always refer to it as the bottom of the well. Like, and you catastrophize and you forget everything you've ever achieved. And then the the remedy for that now is to try and every year I try and sit down and write what I've done that year and what I've achieved. So I can remind myself and it's, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint and I'm not in competition with people. But I do feel like sometimes I'm at the poker table going, ah, oh, fuck it. <laughs> 
you know yes, like yeah like yeah and there's never quite it's not that you don't get a free ride you know if one aspect of your life is going particularly well we always talk about this sort of me and Roxy was discussed this balance this sort of internal balance of something else will take the place of the thing that you that you may have achieved that had been your focus of that thing I must get that thing you've suddenly got that thing there'll be something else to take its place that you yeah. need you know yeah well we've often weirdly found that when our careers are going better somehow other aspects of our, of our life like our relationships aren't for some reason yeah, it's, it's like true. we I don't know like you uh, Bridget Jones quote one area of your life is going well another falls completely to shit oh right completely. exactly there we go yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah there is always yeah, a balance Helen Fielding yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 no completely that's it I think that is um, but it it's you know I, so I'm trying to take my victories and to ignore knowledge so oh i might not have done have i got news for you but i am writing on an hbo show yes can oh, i talk about that HBO show. <laughs> I, I can it's it's for armando iannucci and i can say oh, that much no. so it's a new Amazing. hbo show so that is you know and that's a real like i've never done that before i've never written for a script that's not a script that i'm writing for myself yeah. so it's been a really it's been fantastic and just like an incredible person to his work is it's pretty much the best I could get. Like yeah. if I was yeah, going to no, do it this, is. it really so, is. So, so, so that, that's when I try and sort of balance those sort of things off. Um, but you know, it's it, and and still enjoying doing live stand up. You know, versus TV, they're all very kind of diff- panel shows are a different discipline again. You know, and I'm lucky enough that I do a few of them, and I go, oh, not everyone does all of the things. I try and do that, and then I go, but some people do. Some yeah. people do all of the things. You know, and you see people rock it off, and not everyone's. Like I say, not everyone's climb is the same. Some people are rockets and they go and then they burn out. Or some keep going and going. And you could be the person that's just climbing the hill a little bit at the to- uh, time. And mm. still, if your version of yourself from 10 years ago looked at where you were now, undoubtedly yeah. they'd be like, oh, great, we're doing amazingly. And also it's not, you can't measure, there's no parallel between how high up the mountain you are and how high your happiness is either, I think. Yeah, yeah. And also within that, you have sort of no concept of how other people see you like you said how other people see you and how well you are perceived to be doing but also there is a bit of a thing in this business of you always have to say that you're succeeding and that you're always amazing mm-hmm. and that you know sometimes it's quite nice to be honest and go I had a shit week yeah I didn't get a thing I was really hoping to get and uh I feel a bit sad and I feel a bit shit and absolutely tanked know. that show <laughs> yeah 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 I did badly on that and I don't know or, or whatever it is, you know. Do you um, let yourself say that then in a professional capacity? Or does it mean it probably depends on the person, doesn't yeah, it? Sometimes yeah. I'll talk about it in my stand-up or sometimes I'll, you know, talk about it on Twitter or Instagram or something. But it's very hard within within the the business side of it because yes, you of can't... Because you're your own boss as well. Because, yeah, you've got to sell yourself. You've got to, you know... Um, so that's a little bit... It's a little bit difficult. And also, there is always the, the, just that thing of, as a woman doing any of the things, there's mm. just this, men get the benefit of the doubt. So if you as a woman have like one that's a, like a perfectly reasonable debut on a show, or you do well, mm. you know, you're still sort of on trial a lot of the time. You feel yeah. like you're constantly on trial with these things. Like, am I good enough? Am I good mm. enough? When you get to go and do a thing once a year, and then the boys are doing it four or five times, you know, and you're like, oh, well, if you had me here like two or three times even, then, you know. Yes, yeah, so there is so, an element of needing to back yourself actually in public, isn't there? Yeah, and, and, I, and I still feel like women aren't part of the establishment or furniture enough yet to be kind of going, you know, that we should be at a point where it doesn't matter if a woman has a tough gig on one of these shows because there's three other women on yeah. and no one's going women are shit if you have one bad because it's too thing. much pressure as well for that one woman yeah it's so good and that's yeah. that probably moment. your level where you think this is that was a terrible show that was really bad i'm so embarrassed and i feel humiliated it's probably still a really really high standard but we we do have incredibly we hold ourselves to incredibly high standards and i think i think they're almost unreachable standards sometimes Yes. You know, but our low is actually probably, uh, you know, a high kind of yeah. middly range. Yeah. I think as what I definitely, that's something that happens with Edinburgh shows because in my head, I'll have a show and I'll be really annoyed if I've forgotten a bit or it's not gone how I wanted it to or that bit there it didn't quite work how I want. And then I have to let that go and know that they don't know what the show is. Mm. So they're just receiving a show that then they think is great. And you go over and go, well, actually, it was shit because I forgot this bit and I didn't do this bit. And I really just felt the audience were really cold. You know, yeah. like if you we, do stuff like that. We had a great um, scenario. Actually, I don't know if you were there, we but we walked off um, from a 
play we did at drama school mm. and the one of our tutors came up to us and said great show tonight and well it was me I'm going to admit that it was me that said this and I said oh it really wasn't really wasn't good and he said don't he really told me off he said don't ever say that I I watched that show and I enjoyed it what right do you have to take that away and say you weren't on your best version of yourself tonight you know oh, and I thought it was a really good lesson actually to learn and you also can't judge how well an audience have received you like we did an Edinburgh show and for two days in a row the fire alarm went off right in the middle of the oh. show I mean at the actual centre point of the show it went off and we had to continue it outside in the courtyard in the rain and I really thought we had lost our audience they came back in afterwards and it felt like there was no point carrying on but people came up to us afterwards and they said you know we're so glad you continued with that like we were really with you but what's going on inside you is oh my god oh fuck we've lost them you know well also for them that's like an event like do you remember that show we went and then it just carried on outside there's that kind of almost like blitz spirit yeah <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. of the fringe that says you've got to keep going. I got a Mervyn Stutter spirit at the Fringe one year because a woman collapsed in the show in the middle of my set, and I sort of handled that and was chat like oh, kind of did wow. this whole like Amazing. the show's still happening. We're going to get her like it was it was sort of mad. so I got a spirit at the Fringe one year for that. There's your uh, award. There's an amazing yeah. award to get. Doing but resuscitation at the same time as gags. Yeah. yeah. Well, she collapsed when I said Hitler, so I was like, is it a trigger oh. word? What's happening? She was fine afterwards. But it is kind of getting through it like that. And the, like I say, the audience might have gone, that was a real experience for us. But those are all the things in the fringe that are like, the first ever time I went to the fringe, I did the talk radio, the Bogosian play. And we were in that, the the purple cow. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. And every time I would get into my monologue, like a samba band would go past. It was like a heartfelt <laughs> monologue about me loving Barry oh Champlin. Um, and it would just like... Da, 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 you know, like or whatever. No, that's Mexican. Mariachi. Samba. Yeah, yeah, mariachi. Was, but yeah, it was like a samba, like da, 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 you know, going through the middle of my thing, always at the same point every day. So these are the things you struggle with during the fringe. But again, you can't come out of that going, oh, you know, like because the audience were like, we were enchanted. We didn't hear it. We didn't, you know, yeah. we were in it. We thought it was intentional. Yeah, yeah. The so, underscore, yeah. It's good so yes, skills for life. Sometimes yeah. I don't feel like I'm succeeding or sometimes I will. I've got much better at it in recent years of sort of controlling that need to compare myself, but it is it's not it's not fully gone. Mm. Well, I don't think it ever will be from it exists in all industries except that this one is particularly public and under scrutiny to an extent. Yeah, and I don't want to be envious of when my friends are I'm actually when it's my friends I'm normally fine when yeah. it's people that I like I'm I know I go oh I'd like to I suppose the difference between envy and jealousy I suppose one is that you kind of go oh I'd like to do that as well or that kind of inspires me to try and reach that and the other is like they shouldn't have that so is envy the first one I don't know which way around okay. <laughs> just that's why that's why I threw them in together but, I did, but whichever way around it is there's the is one is the one is the thing that motivates and the other is maybe jealousy motivates and envy is because it's one of the sins I don't know whichever oh, way around it is I'm um, gonna look this up afterwards yeah but one of them is kind of can, can motivate and drive you and the other one can say they shouldn't have that and that's different to going oh I want that as well yeah. that's a great thing to to have but it's like I say it's hard when you have no boss and you have no way of knowing you know if it's moving yeah well it's moving trust us from from the way we're looking at you it's moving it's moving (laughs) yeah if there's one thing just to finalise to finish up if there's one thing that comedy has taught you about life what is it oh failure can lead to your biggest triumphs that's nice. nice. We will go out on that. <laughs> yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. <laughs> it's been brilliant. Thank you. Today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.